Thank you for the opportunity to come and worship you, God, by singing songs of truth that you were the lamb slain for us, God. The one that came to be the substitute for our wrongdoing, Lord. God, we pray as we continue in worship um, by opening your word this morning, God, that you would be glorified. As we, we open your true living word, God, that you would allow it to change our hearts, change our minds. We love you. We put our focus and attention on you this morning. Christ's name we pray. Amen. Paul, up to this point in his writing to the Galatians, has done everything he possibly can to remove any false idea or concept that the Galatians could do or, or needed to do anything to earn their salvation. He's been assuring them over and over again that, that uh, their salvation was not dependent upon their ability to keep the law but rather was dependent upon their faith that they had placed in the person of Jesus Christ. Let me try to draw that and make that more personable for us this morning. Your salvation in mine is not dependent, is not dependent on your and my ability to obey God's laws, but rather is dependent upon our faith that we, that we have placed in the completed work of Jesus Christ, including his death, burial, and resurrection, which simply means that we can't earn our salvation by obeying God's laws, and get this, we can't lose our salvation by disobeying God's laws. Now, we're good with the first half of that. Second half, we're like, well, wait a minute. You don't want to go around telling people uh, that, that they, they can't lose their salvation by disobeying God because if you do that, then what you do is you remove all incentive at all to be able to obey God. If there's not some kind of fear uh, that, that, that we leave on people in the congregation that if they, don't disobey, if they disobey, that then they're going to go to hell, even if they're in Christ Jesus, then they're just going to live and let live. They're just going to eat, drink, and be merry. They're going to do whatever they can. You're taking away every incentive to ultimately obey. And it's this type of thinking, by the way, is why oftentimes you can go into a church that believes that a person is saved by grace through faith alone, and they can preach that, but the majority of what they teach and how they teach is much more about 
following the law of God rather than living in grace, okay? Now, this is going to unpack. Some of you are already very angry with me by what I've said, I can tell. Uh, let, me, let me try to say it in these terms. Do you remember the song that you sang maybe in church? If you were raised up in church, you may have heard uh, this song, um, Be Careful, Little Ears, What You Hear. Do you remember that? I don't know if we sing that or not in our church, but I don't know what the motivation was behind those who wrote that song was, but I could tell you it terrified me. It wasn't a song that I thought you should be singing at church in, in Sunday school, but rather a theme song for some horror movie somewhere, right? It's, be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful little eyes what you see. As the Father from above is looking down in love. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Right? That is, thank you, thank you very much. Now you know why I preach and don't sing, right? That's exactly why. But, but it was terrifying to me, and I don't know what the motivation is, but it did leave me sitting there. This is what I took from it. I, no matter how often you would say that we have a father from above who's looking down in love, all I heard was this, is you better be careful what you do, what you say, and where you go, because God is constantly looking at you, and if you do something wrong or look at something wrong, then God's going to get you. And it worked for me. I mean, it made me walk straight. I was constantly, <laughs> as I'm walking around. But, but here, here, here's the problem with that. Uh, the problem with that is the, the, Paul is going to argue against that kind of mentality. He's going to suggest that it's not fear that is the great motive, fear of God that is the great motivator to do what is right and to live unto God. Uh, the great motivator, rather, is the freedom of God in Jesus Christ. So it's freedom in God that leads us to living a holy life and seeking after God. Not the fear of God who does. And he straightens us out with that in this passage. And he, and he argues it really by providing us three things. Let me give those to you very quickly this morning. And number one, uh, he gives us an explanation of freedom. I think that's important. We hear the word freedom all the time in New Testament churches. We need to know what that freedom means and what it doesn't mean. So he explains it to us in verse 1. He says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Paul is giving us the reason why Jesus Christ came and how fitting because we're celebrating Christmas right now, right? Today, about Jesus coming into the earth. Why did he come? Well, you ask a large group of people, and there's going to be a myriad of different uh, uh, kind of answers to that. Some are going to say, well, he came to show us how to give. Others will, well, he came to show us how to love, or he came primarily to show us how to live a, a, a moral life. And certainly, uh, he, he came for those things, but all of those are secondary, Certainly, we should try to live and emulate the life of Jesus Christ. It's a life we want to be like Christ. But that's not why he came. The reason that he came, according to Paul, was he came to set us free. Now, is he right? Well, according to Jesus, he is. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, uh, Paul, or Jesus expresses exactly why he came, and he said it this way. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recover of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. So according to Paul and according to Christ, the reason that Jesus Christ came, why he born, why he came into the earth, Merry Christmas, is to bring us and make us free. Now, there, what, what does he mean by free then? Uh, well, there's two aspects of the free, and we see it when we read that. For freedom, Christ has set us free. So there is a setting us free from something, and then setting us free to something. So we're set free from this, now we're set free 
to this. So what are we set from? Well, I don't have enough time in the service to talk about all that we've been set from in Christ Jesus. We've been set from from sin, from death, from the grave, from hell, from a meaningless and purposeless life now that we are now in Christ Jesus. All of those things we have been freed from. But specifically for Paul, what he has in mind is that we were free from the law. The law means the commands that God has given us in his word. We are free from it. Now, I know some of you are looking at me crazy, but let me explain. Free from the law as a means of salvation, as following the law in order to earn our own right standing before God. He's come to free us from that. How did he free us from that? Well, in several ways. When, when Christ saves us, he frees us from the demands of the law by meeting those demands, The law of God, think even Ten Commandments, the reason that they're there is not to make us righteous, but to show us that we're not righteous, that we're in need of a Savior. And so the demands of the law is this. If you choose to go by the law and say, hey, I'm going to put all, uh, uh, I'm going to bet on the fact that I could be good enough and live a good enough life that when I stand before God, God will accept me based on my own goodness and my ability to obey the law. He says, God says, if you do and you choose that way, then you have to be perfectly obedient, not to some laws, but to all laws. And that's the demand of the law. And none of us have ever been able to do it. Not one man except for the person of Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ comes. Remember what he said. I didn't come to absolve the law or destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. That's why he came. How did he fulfill it? By being obedient. By by being tempted in every way, yet sinning not. And so he relieves us. He frees us from the demands of the law, but also the penalty of the law. The penalty, the demands say you have to be perfect. If you're going to use the law to make yourself right before God, you have to follow it perfectly. Uh, Then he turns around and says, you haven't. Therefore, anybody who doesn't follow it perfectly is under condemnation. It It says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but the wages of sin is death. So if we do disobey it, then what? We are penalized. We are penalized with hell and death. And so when Christ comes, what does he do? He, he not only, he only meets the demands, but he also pays the penalty for us. So he pays the price on the cross for you and I so that you and I wouldn't have to pay what we deserve to pay. And then finally, he takes away the condemnation of the law. See, one of the worst things, I think, for you and I, even as believers, we can sit back and we can think to ourselves, okay, I know that he met the demands of the law for me. I couldn't do it. He did it for me. And some will sit back and they'll say this. They'll say, I know that he, 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 forgave, he forgave me. He took the penalty of it away. But where many of us often struggle is with the guilt. I know I'm forgiven, but I still struggle because I know what I ultimately did. Well, Jesus Christ didn't come to set you free so that you could be guilty for the, for, for the rest of your life for something that he paid for. So the Bible then says and encourages us, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now get this. When we are free from the demands, the penalties, and the condemnations that come from being under the law, then we no longer suffer from the constant insecurities that would impede our joyful pursuit of a relationship with Jesus Christ. In other words, if we are no longer worried about whether we're in or out, whether we're good enough for him to receive us or not good enough, or whether we've had a bad day or good enough day and wondered if God's going to receive us or not, when we stop worrying about all that, then the only thing left to do is enjoy Christ. Let me 
Let me do this. Let me give you an illustration. I can tell nobody's getting it. It's only the illustrations. Why don't I just preach illustrations? So uh, this, is, this is the idea. I, I don't want to cause any post-traumatic stress disorder or marital uh, problems, but uh, I would say this. I want you to think back uh, to some of those dating relationships you had before you found your spouse. Now, not just for those who are married, uh, but also uh, this, this works for if you're in the dating relationship or if you're thinking about dating at some point, this will be helpful to you, I assure you. Why didn't those relationships work? Well, probably a lot of different reasons, right? Because you're like, because that girl was crazy. That's why she was crazy, all right? Uh, probably lots of different reasons. Here's one of them, insecurity within the relationship, either from her or from him or even from both. Here's, here's kind of how it looks. The point is you can't really have a relationship when you're concerned all the time about the relationship. Are we in the relationship or are we not in the relationship? Everything good, everything not good. And what this leads to is you literally not living out a relationship, but guess what? The dreaded talking about the relationship. So here's kind of how it works. Did none of you, does this never work for you at all? This was, this was basically, hey, listen, I, I really want to get, I know we're supposed to be going to this thing and everything, but we really need to sit down. We need to talk just a little bit. Okay, what's up? Well, I just want to tell you, I feel like there's something wrong. There might be something between us. I don't know if there was something that I did or something I didn't do. I just kind of feel there's this tension between us. And look, I really like you, and I think you're great, and I see a future uh, with you. And in fact, I talked to my mom and dad about you, and, and at this point, he's already freaking out. But, but you know, I, I just think, and, and so I just want to make sure everything's cleared up, make sure thing, everything's all right for you and I. And so the other person turns there and goes, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I think everything's great. I like kind of hanging out with you. I, I think it's great. I think maybe we do have a future together one day. And, 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 and I could see all that too. Really? Really? You promise? Promise. Cross your heart, hope to die? No, not really. But yes, I, I, I promise that, that, that all these things are true. Well, then that's great. So that lasts for about 12 hours until the next morning, right? And now you would text. Then it would be a phone call and say, listen, I just really need to talk to you. Oh, no, again? Yes, I need to talk to you about, about what? Well, I know you said everything was okay, but I just started thinking that maybe you just want to break up with me. Is there, something, is there something I've done that you want to break up with me before? You want to break up with me, don't you? You want to break up with me. Wait a minute, why do you want to break up with me now? And you're like, no, 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 no. And then you, you back up again. You go, look, I, I assure you, everything is good. Everything is wonderful. You don't, don't worry about it. I think you're, you're great. Now, I'm starting to think you're not as great, right? But, but we're all as great. Here's the point. You keep going with that insecurity. That relationship goes absolutely nowhere when you're talking about it all the time and you're insecure about it all the time and you're not actually enjoying it. And this is what Paul is trying to drive home to us is, look, if you are constantly insecure about where you stand with God, if you think every time that you sin that somehow you're trying to work and to do something, or every time you sin or do something wrong, you feel like the fear that God's going to break up with you, then there's no way for you to enjoy the relationship with him. And so Paul comes back and he removes all this and he says, I want you to be secure. And so here's how he makes us secure. He takes us out of the whole equation. Takes us out of the whole equation. So he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to enter in a relationship with you, but it's all going to be me. It's not going to be you. Here's how he does it. He goes, I'm going to save you. How many of you saved yourself? 
Nobody. He goes, by grace, it's me that is the author of your salvation. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to draw you. I'm going to call you. I'm going to convict you. I'm going to bring you to the point of repentance, and I'm going to end up saving you. Your whole salvation is about me. And somebody says, well, didn't I repent and place my faith in Jesus Christ? Absolutely you repented and placed your faith in Jesus Christ because you can't be saved apart from it. But who gave you the faith to believe? The Bible says that it is by grace through faith in Christ, right? That it is a gift of God, lest no man should boast. So even my repentance and my belief is ultimately a gift of God. So he takes us out of the equation. He says, look, I'm going to enter into a relationship with you, but it's not going to depend on what you do or what you don't do. And most of us are okay with that. Amen? Most of us are good with that. Most of us are like, amen, that's the gospel. That's great. The hard part we have is, but what, what, what happens when we're in it? When we're in the relationship, though, then, then doesn't it depend on me? What about the things that I do? What about the things that I don't do? And what Christ wants to do is eradicate any insecurity while you're in the relationship. Not just getting into it, but why you're in it. So he gives us scriptures like this. He gives us scriptures we read in Romans chapter 8 and verse 38 through 39, which says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Do you know what his point of saying neither this nor that nor that or this or this high or that low or in the future or in the past? You know why he's saying that? He's trying to cover everything. He's trying to tell you that there is nothing that can separate you or pull you out of the hand of a loving God. And somebody sits there and goes, I bet you I can. I bet you I can with my sins. Sometimes I got really bad days and sometimes they are just bad and I bet you I can rip myself out. You can't unless you fall into the category of nor anything else in all of creation. If you are something in creation, then not even you in all of your arrogant, sinful pride can rip yourself out of the clinging hand of God. And praise God for that. Praise God for that, that he holds us tight. And so what he's saying is, whether it's going into the relationship or remaining in the relationship, it all depends on me, not upon you. So what does that cause us to do? To free up, to be able to enjoy a sweet relationship with him. Number two, number two, he gives us a warning against returning to slavery. Here's the warning. He says this, so here's what he's going to say. God has given you this tremendous, beautiful, awesome freedom to be able to pursue him. He goes, but here is the danger. He says the danger is that 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 freedom is vulnerable for every believer in Jesus Christ. So he tells us here, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. So what he's saying is, he says, there is a clear and and, and present danger for every true believer in Jesus Christ. There is a true and very real um, temptation to fall back into a works-based salvation. You get that, right? Saved by grace, and all of a sudden we find ourselves now being received by him by grace, but turn around and now we're trying to work for his grace again. He says, when you return to that, (coughs) excuse me, You're returning to what he calls the yoke of slavery. Now, this is a great word in the Greek, slavery, uh, this idea of yoke of slavery. What he's specifically speaking of is the picture is of an oxen who has a, uh, a, a yoke that's over the top of him, and the weight of it is so great, it literally buckles the knees of the ox. He actually goes to his knees. He can't, he can't stand up underneath the weight. And this is a picture of what we are like underneath the law. 
when you and I are trying to approve ourselves or made ourselves approve and justify ourselves before God because we're a good man or a good woman or a good husband or a good father or whatever it is that we think will make us right before God. He goes, then you have to take on the whole law and when you take on the whole law, it's going to crush you. Nobody can stand underneath the weight of God's law. Nobody can do it. But here's what he does. He comes with the gospel and he offers an exchange. He goes, I'm here to, he goes, you have to have a yoke, but you have your choice. You can either have the, the, the crushing yoke of you trying to earn your all salvation, or you can take my yoke upon you. So he says, come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, right? What, what is that? All you who are trying to earn your salvation. And he goes, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And then what, what's his yoke? So, so the old yoke, the crushing yoke is I have to do something. I have to be right. I have to be, I have to earn myself in right standing before God. That's removed. The light yoke, he says, take my yoke upon you and here it is, learn of me. So my responsibility is now to learn of you. What does that mean? Just be in relationship with me. Have a personal relationship with me. Find out about me. Know what I'm like. Serve me. Love me. Just follow after me. Just be in relationship with me. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When you look at those two pictures, what Paul is ultimately saying, he's coming back and he goes, if, if you went from that to that, why would you ever go back to that? The way he would be wording it is this way. Christ freed you from that nagging, crushing, and dreadful weight of trying to win God's favor and then suffering under the guilt and the condemnation for having broken the law. Why would you ever willingly go back to take the yoke on yourself again? This is precisely what the Galatians were doing. The Galatians heard the gospel from, 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 from Paul, and, and they were freed. And they realized, you mean we're saved by grace? There's nothing we could do? No, you don't even have to try now to earn right standing before him. You are free from this. And they rejoiced in it. Then a group of false teachers came along and said, look, you not only, only need to place your faith in Christ, but here's some religious things you have to do if you're really going to be accepted by him. So they go back and they try to take on circumcision and they try to take on all these, all these different uh, religious things to try to make themselves right. And so this is what Paul says to him. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Now, I need to clarify this because I realize not everybody is used to coming into church. And I just read, you can't have anything to do with Jesus. You can't be born again if you take on circumcision. And some of you are all like, Wait a minute, I was circumcised when I was just a little kid. It wasn't my fault. My parents did it to me. It was some torture thing, and, and they did it. Uh, but this mean I can't be right for God? No, don't, don't panic. He's not talking about something that is done from tradition. He's talking about something that is done for salvation. See, the argument of these false teachers was this. We read about it in Acts chapter 15 and verses 1 and 5. Uh, the Galatians said, unless you are circumcised and keep the law, you cannot be saved. And Paul is now flipping that. He says, you say it's Christ plus circumcision or Christ plus something else. I'm telling you, that equals nothing. Christ is nothing for you. There's no reason for you to turn and repent on him if you've chosen the law. It's either one or the other. It can't be both. You put both together and it equals nothing. It's Christ plus nothing that equals everything. Salvation and assurance and a relationship with me. And then, and then notice he, he, he goes on. And, and he says here, he says, he, he says um, the circum, except circumcision. So this is no value of you all. Look at verse 3. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Here's what he's saying. 
He's saying if you believe that you're saved by grace through faith and yet you return to any aspect of the law, that means that you go back to anything else that you are depending on. Being, look, here, here's what it looks like. Being a good man, good husband, good father, good provider, good businessman, good upstanding man in the community. If you think, if you're adding that to your faith in Jesus Christ and you think that that's going to get yourself off the hook with God, and he says, I just want to let you know, you take all those things, but you need to not only be obedient in all those things, you need to be obedient in every other command that I have in the word of God. If you're going to take on part, you've got to take on whole. You can't take a part of it. And so this is what he's saying. And then notice what he says finally. He says, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Now, what it sounds like Paul is doing is he's letting them know. He's, he's like, hey, you guys have lost your salvation. But let me, let me explain something. <coughs> the Bible never teaches that an individual who is saved by grace, not by works, who has been given the gift of salvation, it can ever lose their salvation. This is the way that it ever comes. If you ever see somebody, somebody after the service asked me this. They said, well, what about the person? You said, all our sinning cannot keep us from being saved. Or cannot, we can't lose our salvation from that. But what happens if the individual just begins to live a full life of sin for the rest of their life? Here's what the Bible's answer is. They didn't lose their salvation. They were never saved to begin with. John says in, in 1 John, he says, if they, go, they went out from us because they were never a part of us. They were never in the faith again. Listen to, listen to me very carefully. People, and you could see this through, uh, the, through the story of the sower and the seed, there could be people that show great excitement for spiritual things, great excitement for Christmas, great excitement for the church, and even be involved in it, but never truly be in the faith because they never produce, which is genuine fruit, which is consistent with repentance. And so what he says here, he's not talking about somebody lost. He's giving us two options. He says, you Gentiles. Now, he, he, he believes most of them are saved, but he knows that some of them may not be saved. Get that? So he says, here's two options. If you return back to the law and try to use those to make, justify yourself before God, you're either, number one, best, best scenario, um, then you are just living a really oppressed Christian life then your Christian life is just tiring. It's just heavy. Just constantly more things to be able to do. More places to serve. More prayers to give. More Bible to read. More services to attend. And it's becoming weighty on you instead of being an expression of joy in Christ Jesus. Why? He says, that's the, and that's the best case scenario. And, and all of us fall back into that occasionally, don't we? Oh, I, I got to get it back together. Then, then God's not going to get mad at me. And it, does, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Now, of course, there's repentance. And, of course, there's, there's the, 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 um, uh, the discipline of God. We understand all that. But I'm just talking about security within a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the worst case scenario, he says, is that if you fall back into that, then you were never truly in the faith at all. Uh, let me... Let me say it this way, just because I've already torn up some marriages by my first illustration. So let me just really rip it apart now. Um, uh, there is a principle that I teach in premarital counseling as well as marriage counseling, uh, which really deals with this idea of leaving and cleaving. You, you get that scripture, right? A man is to leave his mother and father, he's to cleave to his wife, and the two shall become what? 
one flesh, right? So it's the leaving and cleaving. And this is something that we teach like crazy, but so few young people seem to do it when they get into the marriage. What the leaving is, is this. It's leaving what was once the preeminent human relationship that is between a parent and a child. Get it? Preeminent. So what the child does is they look to mom and dad for everything they need financially what they need. They look to, their, to the parents uh, for, to be able to help them, emotional care for them, uh, to be able to help them even spiritually, lead them spiritually. All these things come from the parent until what? The day of the wedding. Then the father comes down with the bride, hands over the, the, the bride to the husband and says, she's your problem, right? No, she doesn't say, here she goes. And then, and then they come together. So they're leaving. Doesn't mean there's no relationship there at all. But it says they're leaving, and now they cleave together. And as they cleave together, what are they doing? Now this is the preeminent relationship above all other relationships, including their parents. So they cling together. They cleave together. They hold strong to each other. They look to each other for their needs to be met, for physical and and emotional needs and material needs and care for each other. Here's the problem. The problem is too often times, what do they end up doing? They end up coming back to that old relationship. Uh, something happens with the husband, and this is what I warn. I'm just going to let you know. I'll say, you guys are going to get into an argument, and one of you are going to go back to mom and dad. You're going to get into an argument, you're going to come back to mom and dad. And go, I can't believe he did this. Can you believe he did this? I can't believe she did this. Can you believe she did this? You big whiny baby, right, is what I want to say to the guy. And he comes back, can you believe they do this? And then here's what ends up happening. Then eventually, these two get back together, everything is okay, and that girl or that guy can't understand why their parents hate their spouse. It's because you've gone back to them and you confided to them all the terrible feelings that you're having about your spouse. Or I'll tell them, I said, look, young lady, I said, uh, if you live in the same town as your mom and dad and your car breaks down, I don't care if, if your dad is a mechanic. I don't care if he owns uh, uh, Paul Clark Ford. That would be Paul. So uh, anyway, I don't care if he, if he owns whatever. He goes, you break down on the side of the road. Your first, first phone call is not to daddy. It's to your husband. I said, now... I might be your husband, and if I'm your husband, I'm going to say, call your daddy, but that's beside the point. <laughs> but the point is, you have to come to me, and what happens, what I've found in these relationships oftentimes is, is, is deep, a lot of problems, especially in the South, where families seem to be kind of all together, and it doesn't even have to be together. They could be on phone doing this, and depending on them, what it begins to do is it fractures the intimacy of that relationship because they're not looking to each other. They're pulling from another relationship to get what it is that they need. And this is, uh, and ultimately, sadly, what will happen is not only does it cause constant tension, but on occasion it can be so bad that that the daughter or the son goes back and begins to live with their parents, which demonstrates they never left and they never cleaved with their spouse to begin with. And this is what Paul, I think, is trying to say in here. As he says, it's, it's either this, if, if you're continuing to work on and say, hey, the only way I could be right before God or find fulfillment in myself is if I do X, Y, and Z. It's the only way that I can show myself to be right before God. He says, at best, it's just torment within the relationship. Lack of, lack of intimacy and joy within it. He goes, at very best, you never came to faith in Jesus Christ to begin with. Now, number three, and this is the final thing. I'll, I'll do this quite quickly. Uh, there is, he ends with a call to wait and to love. 
a call to wait and to love. And now what he's going to do here is he's going to contrast himself and all true believers with those who have placed their faith in their works to be saved. Okay, that's the separation. Grace and works, two different things. And here's what he says in verse 5. For through the Spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. So do you see the difference? One person who's trying to earn their salvation is never at rest. They are restlessly working all the time. Is it enough? Can I, can I make sure that we're in the right standing? Have I done enough? And then the other person who is truly in grace, what are they doing? Are they anxiously working? No, they are eagerly waiting. Completely opposite from each other. And what are they eagerly waiting upon? He said, for the hope of righteousness. What is that? It means the fulfillment of our salvation, the totality of our salvation. Let me explain. When you first get saved, it's said that at that moment you are justified before God. That's the beginning of your salvation. We're justified. And then, and then the pro- process from that first moment until we're with Christ in heaven is a time that we call justifi- or, excuse me, sanctification. It's where we're becoming more and more like Christ and less like our old self. And then there's a third part of that. That's our glorification. That's when you and I die and we stand in the presence of God fully and completely and his salvation in in its totality has had its effect on us. Does that make sense? He says, so here's what you do. This is what we look forward to. When you fall and you struggle in sin, you don't sit back going, how do I make this right? What do I do? How much more work? Maybe I need to call the church, see if there's a place for me to be able to serve. Now, we're not against that, by the way. But how do I do it? But not as a means for you to get right with the Lord. He says, you know what our eyes are signed on? Our eyes go toward what God is ultimately going to do with us. So here's how it works. We sit there in the midst of our failure and go, you know what? I'm not who I ought to be. But by the grace of God, I am not who I used to be. And I am not yet what I will be when I see Jesus Christ face to face. And I don't know about you, but you know what that does to me? That brings me security to live for him all of the more and lets me know and frees me up to be able to live for him. And so I want you to note the word hope. Here's what's great about it. Hope in the Bible and the way we use hope is two different ways. Some of you are right now and you're like, listen, my hope is that he ends very soon. That's my, that my, my hope. But the problem with that, that's wishful thinking. <laughs> that's just wishful thinking based on nothing than your wants. But when the hope uses, the, word, the Bible uses the word hope, it doesn't mean wishful thinking. It means absolute security and confidence. It says we know that we are not what we were. We know what, that we're not what we should be. But one day we will be what Christ said he, we will be. Perfect before him. And so note this, uh, the very last verse, verse 6. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Now, I need to explain that. It just simply means this, is that if you're here today and you have always been a good man or a good woman, I mean, you've always made every right decision. You were a Boy Scout. You were an Eagle Scout. You went into college. You got a full scholarship. You were a quarterback uh, on the team. You, uh, you went on mission for six years. You, uh, you, you, you fed the poor. You did everything. You took care of lost dogs. You did all of these types of things. It became the most incredible father, the incredible mother, and you were a church member all of your life. You did all these things. You stand before God apart from Christ next to you as a man who did just the opposite. 
made every sinful decision, pursued a sinful life. He was a drunkard all his life, a drug addict all his life, constantly wallowed in, in prostitution constantly, never did anything for anybody else. And both those individuals stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ, and both of them perish. That's what he means. Your circumcision and your religious right apart from Christ does you no good, just like that apart from Christ being fully and completely sinful does you absolutely no good. And then he finishes with this, but, I love that, but only faith working through Christ. In the end, the only thing that ultimately matters is your faith in Jesus Christ for him to save you, a sinner who has who's rejected God and sinned against God and who is deserving of death. You reject that and you cling to yourself, the completed work of Jesus Christ. That's all that matters at the end. But I love what he adds. Did you see what he said? He said, faith working through love. I love that. Because this is the question when a lot of people go, well, what are you going to say to a person that says that they're saved but they keep living, living like the devil? Then I'd say, well, if they keep living like the devil, then they've never truly been saved. See, here's what happens. When a person is truly genuinely saved, uh, they don't continue to pursue sin in the same way that they did before they came to faith in Christ. Do you know why? Because God radically changes them. He gives them a new heart that wants the things of God and places the spirit in them to be able to pursue the things of God. Do you see that? And so this grace and this freedom that we have from that sin now frees us up to be able to pursue and to do what God has called us to ultimately do. And so this is, I think this is kind of the way that it works. Some of you are sitting here and you came and thank you for being here. I know maybe this and maybe Easter, you, that, those are the things that you try to get in. And I'm not making fun of you at all, I promise. I'm just glad that you were here. Gracious, just love the fact that you were here. But here's what you might be thinking. By now you might be like, how do these people do it? I do this once or twice a year and it's killing me. My only prayer to God is that it's over soon. And he goes, and all these other people, they show up every week. How in the world do they do it? Let me give you a secret. The secret is, it's because they want to. They want to come to the house of God. They want to sing his praises. They want to pray. They want to live a life of righteousness. They want to give of themselves. They want to be able to serve. Why? Because they were saved by grace through faith. Now, I'm going to tell this just between you guests and ours. Some of our folks here, some of them are still doing it to try to earn right standing before God, and they haven't understood what grace is. We're still praying for them that they'll understand that they can only be saved by grace through faith alone, and we're hoping that that's going to happen. But there are some here, again, don't tell them, but there are some who are here that absolutely want to be here and are not trying to earn their salvation. They are here simply because they were given to them and that they've been freed up from the law and now there's nothing more than they want to do than to pursue him, love him, and serve him. Amen? So is that where your heart is? Is that where you are? Uh, is your desire here? Are you here because you've been push to come? Are you here because you want to hear more about this Jesus that saved you? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. You just want to know him. Where are you? Or are you still working, trying to do underneath that heavy weight, still trying to say, is it enough? Is it enough? Is it enough? I want to invite you to be able to take on the yoke of Christ, to be able to repent from your sin, place your faith in him, and be free.
That's Christmas, to be free. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for today. And we thank you for your truth. And we thank you for our freedom. Thank you for coming for that reason. And now, right now, Lord, I just pray that you would do your work, that, God, you would bring salvation to where it needs to be. You'd bring comfort to where it needs to be. Lord, even some of our own folks that are still wrestling with that works-based salvation, God, let them be assured again. Let them be confident again, uh, not, trying to, not, not trying to work for you and, and do things for you under compulsion or underneath uh, condemnation of hell, but rather from the freedom of being freed and secured in you. Lord, help us keep preaching that to us every day. In your name we pray, amen. Let's stand. I'm going to be down here. If you want to pray, if you want to know more about Christ, uh, I want to share that with you. I want to talk with you about that. Uh, but you, you let the Holy Spirit and the word uh, be able to work in you at this time as you respond.